You know, it's interesting that on the week that we're going to host the Voice of the Martyrs and get it, learn how to more, to pray more in a more informed manner for believers around the world, that our text for today from the book of Acts actually shares with us the very first time that Christians were physically persecuted, as we see this in the flogging that the twelve apostles received at the hands of the Sanhedrin. A flogging was based upon some Old Testament requirements and things, and they didn't want to go over the 40 lashes. They used to do 40 minus 1, or 39 lashes. And at the conclusion of our text today, we're going to see that all 12 of the apostles were flogged by the Sanhedrin, which was the stiffest penalty that the Jewish leaders could inflict upon a person. Anything more severe than that, they needed to turn it over to the Romans for their hands, for their handling. I'd love for you to turn in your, in your Bibles and follow along with me in this text. Uh, if you're in our pew Bibles, it's on page 929, I believe. It's a fairly lengthy text. So what I'd like to do is read the narrative and just make some comments as we kind of move through this. But, you know, we've been dealing with, with a number of, of very hefty things from the Scriptures as we've been moving through the the book of Acts, and we've been trying to ask ourselves, what does faith look like when faith is the way it's supposed to be? And I think as we look to read through this text today, we're going to be able to see some things that materialized in the life of the apostles as a result of what was in their heart. You know, because one of the blessings and the curses of Christianity is that it really is a matter of the heart. You know, we could do the right things, but if we're not doing it for the right reasons, it doesn't really matter. We can look the part, but unless we are the part, it doesn't really matter. But on the flip side, it can also be a curse to us because sometimes it's very difficult for us to know how well we're doing in this journey of really walking with God. And, and I think our text today will lend some insight to us, maybe some ways to look at how we're doing in this journey, that really is a matter of the heart. Just follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud. And like I said, I'll make a few comments where they're helpful as we go along. Remember, this text picks up immediately on the heels of the judgment that came upon Ananias and Sapphira because they had lied to the Holy Spirit and they had damaged the church's purity and with that, the, the ability for the power of God to flow through it and God's judgment had come. And so in verse 12, Luke once again gives us a summary statement describing the general life of the church over a period of time. And it said, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. It was an area of the temple. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people... Praise them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. And as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In the ancient world, there was a belief that literally all of the personality, all of the personhood, all of the power, if you will, of the individual was also in their shadow. 
And so they would sometimes, as, and try to experience some of the healing that God was doing through Peter, they literally try to put people in a place where his shadow might fall upon them. And in addition, a large group came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Well, isn't that, wouldn't that be a great testimony today? Then the high priest took action. He and all his colleagues, those who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. The word there can also mean zeal. So they, they either could have been jealous related to the, to the position or the fame, if you were the popularity that the apostles had with the people, or they could be that they were zealous for what they thought was important to the, to the nation of Israel. So they arrested the apostles and they put them in the city jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and he brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple complex. You know, remember where you were before, go right back to the same spot and tell all the people about this life. We're going to be talking about this life today. In obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. This would have been the time when a number of people were gathering for the morning sacrifice and there would be a crowd in the temple. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin and the, the full senate of, of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the jail to have them brought, to, to have the apostles brought. But when the temple police got there, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and they reported, we, we found the, the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, there was no one inside. As the commander of the temple police and the chief priest heard these things, they were baffled about them as to what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, look, the, the men you put in jail, <laughs> they're standing in the temple complex and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the temple police and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. And after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? And look, you're filling Jerusalem with your teaching. And you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. So their, part of their fear was that they were afraid that the teaching of the apostles would convince the people that the Sanhedrin was guilty of murder and therefore they should be judged. But Peter and the apostles replied, and notice this, all of them together, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. From what we can tell, the, the Sanhedrin was primarily composed of folks who had a Sadducean kind of perspective. But because the Pharisees were so popular with the people, 
The Sadducees often used to listen to them very carefully inside of the Senate, if you will. And this Gamaliel was the leading teacher of the day, probably Paul's teacher. And he stands up to give advice. He says, men of Israel, verse 35, be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Not long ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his partisans were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he attracted a following. That man also perished, and all his participants were, partisans were scattered. And now I tell you, stay away from these men. And leave them alone, for if this plan or work is of men, it will, just, it will be overthrown. But it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. So they were persuaded by them, by him. And after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, and what the flogging would have been like, they would have stripped the apostles from, from their upper bodies, and they would have been kneeling down. And they would have been whipped 39 times with a, a whip that would have three leather straps to it. And what they did is they did, for every two they did on the back, they did one on the chest. And this was a, a severe beating. In fact, numbers of people died as a result of the floggings that they received. And so here are the, the, the apostles. They're being warned by the Sadducees, by the Sanhedrin, no longer to speak in, in the name of Jesus, and as a part of that, they're flogged, literally beaten, if you will, into an inch of their life. And they ordered them, again picking up with verse 40, not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. And every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is, a, again, just an incredible story. It's interesting that many times as commentators want to begin to look at this, they, they ask questions like, well, how did Luke know what the Sanhedrin talked about, since none of the apostles were in there when this was going on, and those kinds of things. And, and I don't think we should get distracted by those kinds of questions. What's interesting is for us to kind of take a step back and say, what do we see in these guys, the 12 apostles, that tell us what faith is supposed to look like? If ever a group of people got it, if ever a group of people really appreciated what it meant to live a life of faith, it was these twelve. And they were willing to pay the price. And we can see at the end of our text, they indeed did do just that. What are some things that we can look at that should be reflections in our lives of what's in our heart? If our hearts are right. If our hearts have faith the way it should be. You know, Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart that we speak, that, our, that, that we live. And so, 
what we do, what we say, who we are, what we think about, are all are reflections of what's inside in the heart. Well, what do we see in these guys that reflect what's inside their heart? This faith the way it should be. And I've, I've admittedly tried to create a little play on words here to maybe captivate your intention a bit. But when I look at their lives, one of the things I see is that their lives were marked by the credible and the incredible. You know, they're marked by the credible and the incredible. It's interesting that the things that the apostles celebrate at the end is that they were counted worthy to be dishonored for the name of Jesus Christ. Their lives marked the credibility of their message. The people looked at the apostles. They looked at the teaching. They, they may not have wanted to be connected with it, but they praised it because it was credible. So you look at their lives and there is this sense of the credible. That, they're, that, that what they talk about is really who they are. That their walk and their talk, if you will, go together. It's a powerful word. We like to use words like authenticity, you know, and genuineness and sincerity today. But ultimately, what it really boils down to is, do our lives produce credible evidence that faith the way it should be is on the inside? But it's interesting that with the credible, their lives were marked by the incredible. And there's no doubt in my mind that those two things were connected. Because they really had a credible faith, they had a genuine faith. They had a trust in Christ. They understood that God was Lord. Their lives were marked by the incredible. I mean, we read texts like this and we hear about all the people being healed and the things with the shadows and stuff. And we say, where is that today? No, because it's incredible. We read stories about this prison break. And there's a couple more coming in the book of Acts, believe it or not. But we read about this prison break with, you know, the angel shows up and somehow or another the guards are standing there. We get the sense that they're totally still wide awake, but just kind of almost invisible and unknown to them. They're able to lead the 12 apostles out right through the door, right out into the streets and back into the temple complex. It's incredible. It leaves the leadership baffled. And their lives were marked by the credible and the incredible. You know, and, and one of the dialogues I've been having with myself is how, how closely are those two things connected? Is the lack of the incredible in the church today related to the fact that we don't always have a credible faith in the eyes of God? But their lives were marked by the credible and the incredible. You also have this sense that they were rejected, but that rejection was based on their, that, but being rejected was based on their rejection. Let me, let me kind of play, I know those two words kind of play, rejected and rejection. What we see in this text that the, the apostles were rejected by at least two different groups of people. On one, we have the populace, right? There were those who, who dared not to associate at all with the apostles. They kept their distance. They'd come into the temple complex. They'd see them teaching over here to the east side in Solomon's portico, and they'd go the other direction. You know? Now, they respected who they were. 
They saw the integrity, but they didn't want to have anything to do with them. They rejected them, mostly because of the commitment level that they understood that went with that. There were some people, as the scripture tells us, who were ready to pay that price. The Lord was adding to their number, men and women, every single day. But the vast majority of folks were still recoiling. They heard the stories of Ananias and Sapphira. And they said, don't sign me up for that. I don't want that level of commitment. And so they're, they're rejecting the apostles. They're rejecting the message because of the commitment level that's required. Then we see the leaders, the Sanhedrin, that's rejecting the message of the disciples. And, and I think their rejection is, is not so much from the commitment level, certainly not related to the Pharisees, but it really has to do with the content of the message. They just objected to what was being taught as truth. Did that ever happen in our society today? You know, the, the part of it is that the Sanhedrin didn't want to have to admit that they had actually murdered the Messiah. That, that just didn't set too well with them. It was a lot easier to sleep at night when you think that we protected the nation by killing this guy who was going to lead us into harm's way. So we're heroes. But now the message is being shared that God's anointed came and you crushed him. They didn't like that message. So they rejected it. They rejected the content. They rejected the impact that it would have on their lifestyle, their position in society. They were rejected. We probably see a lot the same today. It's interesting that over the 10 years of my journey here at Hope Chapel, probably on at least once a year, as people begin to explore a little bit about what, who Hope Chapel is, I usually at least once a year have one, one experience where the first thing that somebody asks me is, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And if we don't believe the right way, they don't want to have anything to do with us. Quote, unquote, the, the content is what causes the, the rejection. The apostles were clearly rejected. But we also have to see that the apostles, the apostles exercised rejection. What, what, what does Peter say to the high priest as he speaks up for all the apostles? You know, he's, he's, the question is asked like, you know, didn't we tell you to not speak in these guys' name, his name anymore? And you guys are just filling the whole city with it. And, said, and Peter says, we have to obey God rather than men. Their lives were marked by the fact that they rejected the culture. They rejected the expectations of man. They, re- they rejected the normative that went with all of it. That, what we live in a time where fitting in and being like everybody else and peer pressure and all that kind of stuff is so dominant. And I want to tell you, you and I will never experience faith the way it should be. If our biggest concern is somehow to fit in, because we'll always be obeying men rather than God. But they were ready for this. They were prepared to embrace God and reject the expectations of man that somehow stood in opposition to their allegiance to God. And with that, they had credibility. And the incredible happened. I also want you to see in them that just, just, just coming right out of who they are is just the, the message and the messenger. 
it's interesting that as Peter begins to give a defense, he, he really doesn't make a defense at all. He simply makes an appeal. Look with me, if, if you will, in, in the Scripture. Let me get the right place. Beginning with verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. The God out of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You know, it's, it's interesting that we somehow or another think the gospel is very complicated. But part of the marvelousness of faith the way it should be is, is to grip the message, the gospel, at its simplest form. Jesus was murdered. Jesus was raised. Jesus was exalted. We have a choice to make. That's the gospel for Peter. Now, it gets more complex maybe at times, but that's the gospel. He's standing before the most informed religious people of the nation, and he simply says, Jesus was murdered. Jesus was risen. Jesus was exalted. And because he's Savior, we have a choice to make. It's a powerful message just flows out of their hearts. But I want you to see that they found in their lives a singular purpose. And that was to be a witness. What are they doing at the beginning of the text? They're in the temple complex teaching and preaching. When they're arrested and brought before the authorities, they preach. What do they do at the end? They go back into the temple and they're teaching and they're preaching in the temple and from house to house. They, they found in being a messenger of the good news their identity. You know, part of the characteristic of our lives that ought to emerge out of a heart that's holding on to faith the way it should be is that we understand that our role in life is to be a witness. To be a witness. Jesus says, and you shall be my witnesses. And they found in that their life mission. And that's what it's like when faith is the way it should be. Our, our primary task in life isn't somehow or another to manage everything with great skills. It's to testify to God. To be a witness. Whether it's in our homes or in our cubicle or in our, behind our desk at school or whether it's in our neighborhood while we're taking a walk or whether it's while we're sitting in the dentist's office or the doctor's office. Our role is to be a testimony. To be a witness And out of their lives flowed this message rooted in their conviction about being a witness. I want to point out one last characteristic. And I couldn't do the wordplay anymore. Their lives were marked by joy. Here they are before the most powerful group in the life of Israel. They just get whipped 39 times. And the only thing they can do is rejoice. The only thing they can do is rejoice. Tells you something about what's in their heart, isn't it? 
tells you something about what's in their heart. There was just this overflowing joy within them. What's our heart telling us today? I mean, we're, we're in a time of the year where many of us, we, we think about Christmas as a time of not only tremendous stress, but it's, it's one of those times when we really want to have a spiritual moment. You know, this ought to be the time when we're at a, a, a spiritual high along with, with Easter. What's, what's in our heart? What do we see in our heart? We ask ourselves very simply, very honestly, very sincerely, is there really joy in our hearts? The kind of joy that conquers every experience of life. Are we thrilled to be a messenger? To be a witness? Are we content to reject culture where it conflicts with faith? Does our spiritual conscience tell us that we're truly credible? It's a wonderful time for us to talk to God. It's interesting that the invitation to repent and to be forgiven continues to be available to every single one of us each day. Let's pray together. Father, there's such a tendency to us to look at this text. We can say that, that that's the way things used to be. God, let them be that way today. For that's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.